0: The Spirit of the Lord is with us here this morning, and it's uh, it's good to be able to now read from God's Word, and we are going to be reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 60 1 through to 5, and then 19 to 22, and then 2 Corinthians 3, 17, 4 to 7. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is all over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to the light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth of the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. Then all your people will be righteous, and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands, for the display of my splendor the least of you will become a thousand, the smallest, a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will do this swiftly." Moving now to Second Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 to chapter 4, verse 7. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we command ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory, displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And may God bless you, the reading of his word.
1: Thank you, Al. Uh, going to ask our uh, lovely slide operator, Barb, if you don't mind going back to Isaiah. And we will just be looking at the text this morning. Uh, Well, good morning and welcome again to Windsor District Baptist Church. If um, you are visiting with us today for the first time, I would like to say welcome. We're delighted you are here on this special day. It is especially important that you are here today because you will get a glimpse of what church is really all about. If you call this church home, we're glad to have you here as well as we celebrate new beginnings amongst our community of believers, which the Bible rightly calls the body of Christ. Here, the joy of one one is the joy of many, and the sorrow of one is the sorrow of many. Not because we cannot think for ourselves or because we have somehow congealed into a cultish fad or a mass case of groupthink. But we share joy and we share sorrow because we have a shared experience of interconnectedness and interdependence in Christ. And if you're here and you're on the fence this morning, inquisitive about spiritual things taking a proper look into Christianity to see whether there's really any difference, really any such thing as spiritual truth or divine power, then we're also glad you're here because today is a day to discover the difference between Christ and pseudo-saviors, between Christ and the false messiahs, between Jesus and the other philosophers, between Christianity and the other religions. Today you will learn where to look to find deep lasting peace and real and transformational change. So we're glad you're here. The Bible presents the answer to the world's strife as not as something to be found within the human psyche, human consciousness, or human endeavor. Instead, the Bible decidedly attests that the hope of all mankind lies outside itself. If you think about it, the way we enter the world tells us all we need to know about the utility of humanity when it comes to resolving its own destiny. We come into the world utterly helpless. When a baby is born, it is born dependent. It it exits the womb attached to its mother through the umbilical cord, which delivers all the vital nutrients this little life needs to survive. But moments later, that attachment is severed. The cord is cut. The baby now left on its own with nothing to fend for itself, but its own lungs that scream and cry for help. And the help does come. (laughs) You're all here testifying that the help came. Because from that very moment all the way through childhood, as the newborn grows, develops, and learns to speak, and walk, and talk, and so forth, that child goes on and on, nurtured here, taught there, trained, as it were, in the tools of life on how to take its place in the world. And I don't know about you, but when I look at a newborn baby, I, I fawn over it. We gush with pride as we look at the little life and we remark to one another, I wonder what he'll do. Or just imagine who she'll grow up to be. Our imaginations fill with dreams of their achievements, fame, wealth, success, honor, integrity. And as we run that little nine millimeter projector in the attic of our mind's eye, we see the reel go on to blissful pictures of companionship a house and one day perhaps even children of their own all this we see when we look into that baby's eyes and stare down the corridor of time what is it that we see in a word it's potential we look at the child we look at the baby we see potential and yet for all that potential which may or may not be realized this child cannot escape its own dependence that baby does not control its own destiny. She or he will one day go the way of all the earth and perish. And so humanity, long on potential, cannot overcome its own dependence. As those first moments taught us, our life is but a breath, it's, it's a cry for help. We live at the mercy of another. If what we see when we gaze into the newborn eyes, into those deep pools of innocence, Might rightly be classed as potential or possibility or hope, then what are we to see when we gaze upon the Christian? In short, the big question I want to ask you this morning is what do you see when you gaze upon a Christian? More broadly, you could say, what do we see when we look upon the church? We've been looking at that in this series. We've been asking the question what is the church? And I hope you've been appreciating the breadth and the depth that God's word provides us of what that picture looks like. But the answer to that big question is that when we gaze upon the Christian, we see something far greater than potential, we see glory. When we look at a Christian, we ought to see glory. Glory. For the Christian, dependence is replaced by transcendence. Possibility gives way to glory. Optimism is eclipsed by eternity. And flesh, mortal and fragile as it is, is enlivened by spirit, by God himself. And so we're taught in the scriptures that the church is the glory of Christ. The remainder of this message is going to be devoted to explaining why when we look upon a Christian we see the glory of Christ and taking our cue from Isaiah chapter 60 we're going to see three ways that the church is likened to the glory of Christ and then we're going to dip our toes into 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 to see how these manifestations of glory are experienced or seen in the life of the Christian and I want to look at three metaphors that help us define glory because glory is tough to get your head around. Glory is tough to really sort of grasp and hold in your hands. But three metaphors, all all attested in varying degrees in Scripture, help give us a sense of what glory is and how it might be seen. The first picture of glory is glory is light. Glory is light. And in that it reveals. The second picture is that glory is weight or substance. And in that we see that Glory attracts. It has a magnetism. It has a mass. And finally, glory is beauty light, weight, beauty. All these things Christ gives to the Christian. Let's pray. Father, would you open our minds and hearts this morning to understand what you have provided for us in Jesus? May his power and goodness be manifest for all to see today. Father, would you lay aside our preconceived notions, the fixations and the imaginations of our own minds that just get in the way and cloud what you're trying to say to us. Father, would you comfort and encourage the weary? Would you embolden the listless? Would you vitalize those who are withering And for all of us, Lord, may we be captivated by Christ, our King. In his name we ask. Amen. Isaiah chapter 60 talks about the promises that God has made to his people. Now, in Isaiah chapter 60, you need to understand that the prophet has been given a grand telescopic view of the future. And so when we look at prophecy, oftentimes we're tempted to just simply look at something and say, oh, it said this is going to happen. Let me see where that happened. And we don't realize that that the prophets are not given things in such a cut and dry manner. Isaiah here is given a vision of the future, a future of the people of God, a future that would include not just Israel, but would include Gentiles under the broad banner of the people of God. But this poem that is crafted, this oracle that's given to us in Isaiah chapter 60, is written as a word of comfort. The heading in your Bible might read the same as mine, which says, the glory of Zion. Which if you were here a few weeks ago, you would remember that Zion is the city, the city of God's people, and the church, the church is the place where God dwells. And so we read in verses 1 to 5, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. The command to the people of God to stand up, to witness, to attest, because something has come from outside themselves. The glory of the Lord has shone upon them. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. One thinks of the birth of Jesus and how another prophet said the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And so as we read Isaiah talking about the glory of God appearing and the call to God's people to stand and witness because the glory of God is appearing, we we think of the appearance of Jesus. who was called the morning star. The sign that a new day was here. The sign that things were going to be different. And so the command first to to the people of God is to see the glory of the Lord appearing. But notice the change. Verse 3, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar. Your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Somehow something has happened between verses 1 and 2 and verses 4 and 5 where the glory of the Lord that appeared is now the glory of the Lord that is possessed by the people of God in Zion. You with me? then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth and the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. This picture of a mass turning of the world as it looks to the people of God and recognizes there's something different about you. And no matter whether you're a Roman emperor in the first century, whether you're the religious leaders in Jerusalem, whether you're groups throughout the ages. The church has not been stamped out. It has not been defeated. And the whole reason is because the glory of the Lord has appeared and you can't stamp out the glory of the Lord. You can't block it out. You can shut your eyes to it, but you can't make it go away. And as the glory of the Lord appears, people will see People will see Jesus and they will walk in his light, and in looking upon his light, they will be changed. You are radiant because Christ gives you light and you have looked upon him. As Paul would say, we all with unveiled face look upon the glory of the Lord. Do you see the picture? Paul says, the veil has been removed. We have eyes that can see, and we look to the person of Jesus, and we see what he reveals about God and who he is and his purposes and his plans, and we cannot help but be changed. That's why Paul, someone who was destroying the church, would go about, and later, after seeing Jesus, being blinded by the light of Jesus, knocked off his horse, would later say, "The love of Christ compels me. He cannot help but radiate the glory of the Lord, and the world notices, and the world sees." You're going to hear three testimonies later today, and these people are testifying not to how, not to this church, no, no, not. not, not. Not to great upbringings or great people or anything else. They're testifying to Jesus. They're saying to you, I have beheld in Jesus a glory, and that glory changes me. Has it changed you? Are you looking upon him? He will give you light, He will help you see. And Paul says the amazing truth. The amazing truth that as we receive this light, this glory then becomes a part of us and we reflect it, we show it, but we don't show it like some big fancy neon billboard. We show it like a cracked pot, like a piece of clay with showing all its holes and mars and scars and everything, bits chipped away here and there, nothing that you would behold. You wouldn't walk into a store and pull a Christian off the shelf and say, this looks like a nice fancy pot. I would like one of these. You wouldn't do that. But the greater the cracks, the more chips there are, the more light comes through. You see. We carry this treasure in jars of clay. That people may see that this power is not from us, it is from God. I say to you what I say to myself. Don't. Try to get in the way of the glory of the Lord. Don't try to cover your cracks. Don't try to patch them all up. Don't go down to the hardware store and get the world's latest remedy for a crack in your clay pot. Let the light of Christ shine in you and through you because Christ gives light. The church is the glory of the Lord because the light of the Lord shines through us. Amen. This is the same picture we get in verses 19 to 20 and 21 of Isaiah 60. The sun will no more be your light by day nor the brightness of the moon shine on you for the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. This universe was created with a dependence upon the sun. But in the kingdom of God, the sun, that star burning many, many, many thousands of miles and kilometers away is no longer needed because the Lord will be your everlasting light. Verse 21, that all your people will be righteous. They will possess the land forever. They are the shoots I have planted, the work of my hands for the display of my splendor. The metaphor is shifting. Now we are not simply vessels that convey light. We are living beings. And here we begin to see that the church is not just glory because it's light, but the church is glory because it is substance. There is a weight and a gravity to the life of the Christian. Why? Because Christ has given you life. You may have thought you were living before, but the Bible says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And if you want to talk to anybody who knows Christ, they will tell you the exact same thing. They will tell you I was a walking zombie. I was a slave to whatever my desires wanted. I had no hope of resisting the same evil that was destroying me. I loved it and I hated it at the same time. I wanted to be free, but I couldn't get out. But when Christ comes, a new power resides. A shoot is planted. Life is reborn. And the very life of God begins to grow out of the Christian Zion is told that her children will be oaks of righteousness, these big, strong, sturdy trees that don't wither depending on the change of the season. In dry climates and wet climates, they remain steadfast and strong. The glory of the Lord is in the Christian, not just because they convey the light, they reveal the light of Christ and who he is, but the glory of the Lord is in the Christian because God himself has begun a work And for the first time, you begin to experience what humanity was truly meant to be. If you want to know what something can do, whether it's a car, whether it's some sort of apparatus, you ask the person who built it. You ask the one who made it. You ask the designer. God designed us. He made us. Part of the futility of our humanity is that we try to to be God's image bearers without God. How do you reflect the image of something you've never seen? How do you mimic your your divine creator when, when you don't know who he is? If you were made for righteousness and holiness and for worship... How do you be righteous if you don't know that there is a righteousness? How how do you worship something that's God if you don't know what's worthy of worship? If you can't decide between what I make with my hands and the one who made me. But when Christ comes, he plants his life in us. There is a substance, there is a weight. I'm not, by any stretch of the imagination, an expert in physics. But I did learn a couple little simple things. What goes up comes down. If I take a ball and throw it up in the air, it'll land. If I fall off my chair, I will hit the ground and it will hurt. Why? Because there is this thing called gravity. Where one larger mass, through its sheer weight and its substance, is pulling and is attracting me, a smaller mass, to it. You see, the glory of Christ puts in the Christian a great mass that is attractional. Have you ever stopped to consider why God's plan for the church, why God's plan would be for the spread of Christianity, for the spread of the gospel, why he would entrust it to human beings? Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just, you know, create a natural landmark or... Do sky or implant it in our brains. Well, have you ever stopped to realize that perhaps maybe the reason God did that is because he understood that humans, humans have a capacity to see change in other humans. People have a capacity to see the transforming work of God in your life We are, through the generosity of many, many people, including this church, we're able to uh, go back to visit my family. We have plans to go visit my family in America later this year. And we're talking to our children. And they're really excited now. And I asked them that. I said, well, Why are you so excited to go to America? You, uh, you, haven't, you haven't been. And I said, Well, the way you talk about it, it's the way you speak about it, Dad. Why do you want to go to Montana? Well, it's the way you talk about it. Why do you want to go out to California? It's not because I've been there before. I was on the M7 earlier this week. They didn't say, Dad, can I go on the M7? That'll be really fun. No, it's because nobody gets all, off a toll road and says, that was amazing. No. But you see, these places, they changed me. And so now when I relay them, in my voice and in my manner, they see my eyes brighten. And they see my heart leap. And they see me, they said, that must be something special. And you see, the gospel spreads the same way. Oh, don't be ashamed of your love for Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the work he's doing in your life. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to cover it. Don't don't, don't try to be all cool and professional. Don't try to dampen your spirit. Don't try to be calm and collected and pretend like everything's hunky-dory. It's not. Don't pretend like your very life doesn't hang totally and completely upon this Christ. Because it does. And when you know the Lord, His life, His glory resides in you, and your life begins to take on a weight. It takes on a mass. It takes on a momentum. It takes on an attractional magnetism where they see not you because you've somehow worked everything out and you have all the answers. You don't. They see Christ in you, the hope of glory. And there is nothing humanity needs to face its mortality, to face its limitations, than a a grasp and a glimpse of everlasting glory. So you see, the Christian doesn't just purvey the light of Christ, the Christian also purveys the substance of Christ. His glory, his power in us. Finally, glory can be seen as beauty. Glory can be seen as beauty. It's not in the slides because I was trying to not give you Bible whiplash by going to all these different verses. But you can turn with me if you want. I have to show this verse to you. Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 3. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand. A royal diadem in the hand of your God. Let that sit with you. Let that sit with you. Do you hear this? God looks at his people and he says, you are my resplendent crown. Where do we see the glorious beauty of a king or a queen? The crown. They put the, ground, they put the crown jewels on tour, for goodness sake. Why? Because they're beautiful. Because they found the most rich elements of, of all the earth, and they've, they've arranged them in this beautiful picture, and it's, a, it's, a, it's at once a symbol of authority and beauty at the same time. But God doesn't just put us in a glass box and tell the world, hey, my crown's on tour. Stop by your local church. Peek through the glass. He says, there are crown in my hand attached to his person. Attached to who he is, you say, what does it mean for the king to hold the crown? It's meant to give all. It's meant to inspire. It's meant to bring wonder. It's meant to, be, to bring beauty. Some of the most lovely things I've ever witnessed in my entire life are the hearts of Christians. Spontaneous movements of the Spirit of God doing something beautiful and magnificent that no human being would ever do. And I can only explain it by the fact that this person is under the authority of a good God. Selflessness that I could never imagine to bring myself to. Generosity that I couldn't fathom. Acts of forgiveness and reconciliation. A burying of the hatchet, a walking back into a harmful situation, not with a bent to retaliate, not with an axe to grind, not with self justification, but walking in simply in pure love. This is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I think of the old man with the handlebar mustache. We have a similar last name. My last name's Hoffman, his name was Hoff. (laughs) Maybe it was Kismet. (laughs) And there I was, a 15 year old kid, just finished surgery, full of shame and doubt and inferiority and all the other teenage emotions. And I remember walking out of the meeting thinking, I don't know anybody here. Nobody knows me and nobody cares about me. And I sat. I sat in the dark next to this old guy with a handlebar mustache. And he listened to me. What I didn't know at that time was the pain he was going through. He had a thousand other places he could be. But in that one simple moment, he showed me the beauty of Christ who sits with the lowly, who doesn't despise the downcast, who looks at the poor in spirit. Says, Blessed are you. I'm weeping because it's beautiful. It's the glory of Christ. Christ in His mercy and in His love. Christ in his power and his endurance that he gives you when you're suffering he supplies all these and he transforms you into something beautiful Jesus when he stood in the synagogue and he opened the passage at the beginning of his ministry and he went to Isaiah 61 and he said the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. You see that beauty is in a crown. That beauty is in an authority. To comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. We give him ashes. Here, Lord, here's my ashes. I am but dust. And he takes those ashes and he makes you a crown. Oh, he is good. He is so good. We can look at a baby and we can see all the possibility in the world. Maybe you're still looking at your own life and you're saying, I see possibility. I'm just chasing possibility. I'm chasing optimism, I'm chasing potential, I'm chasing all the things that could be done. Can I stop you this morning and say to you, stop chasing potential. Receive the glory. Receive Christ. Gaze upon him. Look upon him. Let his light shine through you. You can't look at Christ if you're trying to patch your cracks and your holes. Let him plant his life in you. Receive the seed of his word. Allow it to bear fruit in your life and in the beauty that comes. Delight. That you serve a good God. Stop chasing potential. Receive glory. If the spirit of God has awakened you right now. You say I was. I've been dead asleep. And suddenly for the first time the spirit of God is awakening me. I implore you. Do not leave this place before responding. Respond to Christ. Tell him I want that glory. Tell him I want that peace. Tell him I see your light. Tell him you can plant your power in my life. Turn and believe. Well, children, it's so great to see you. We've been talking about you. (laughs) Only good things. Only good things. We love you so very much. We love you because God has made you and he has good plans and purposes for you. Well... We've sang the word, we've prayed the word, we've read the word, we've heard the word, and now we're going to see the word through baptism. I'm going to invite our three baptism, what do we call you? Baptism people? (laughs) Our three Christian brothers and sisters, I'm going to invite them to come now, and they're going to share their testimony and children, I encourage you, if you want to sit close, sometimes it's hard as a kid when you're sort of further back, if you want to sit close, feel free, to, feel free to, to take a seat on the floor or towards the front um, and, and watch what's going on here because this is a very, very significant moment in these people's lives. All right, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would continue to show the greatness of Jesus to us. We pray that there would be a mighty movement of your spirit. Because the work you do is good. And we want to see more of it. God, would you be with those who are sharing their testimony with us today? Would you encourage them as they speak about the work you've done in their lives? In Jesus' name we ask, amen. (coughs)